Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick, and thanks for joining me for another fantastic interview episode where we sit down with some of the best and brightest in the cocktail and spirits industry and pump them for information about their areas of specialty. This week's guest is Taka Amano of New American Spirits, makers of Umai Shochu. And what, pray tell, is Shochu, you may ask? In fact, that's the same question I asked myself when I met Taka for the first time. In really basic terms, Shochu is a traditional Japanese spirit. Today, it stands side by side with sake and Japanese whiskey as one of the most popular spirits in Japan and beyond. We'll let Taka tell us a lot more about Shochu in just a moment, but right now, as always, I want to give you the chance to make yourself a drink. This week's featured cocktail is the Highball. It's light, sessionable, refreshing, and a really perfect way to get to know your favorite spirits just a little better. Now, I'm gonna start off by pumping the brakes a bit because a highball isn't technically a cocktail. It's a mixed drink. And the operative difference between a cocktail and a mixed drink is how many ingredients there are and what you have to do to combine these things. In a highball, there's only two ingredients, a spirit and seltzer or sparkling water. And in a highball, you're not doing a whole lot of, you know, shaking or diluting of the constituent ingredients. However, there is some real beauty to the highball and that beauty is in its incredible versatility. You can make it with any spirit you please and the recipe is as follows. In a tall highball or Collins glass filled with ice, combine two ounces of your favorite spirit and six to eight ounces of seltzer water or sparkling water. It's as simple as that, or is it? Well, a lot of folks out there in the craft bartending world make a big to-do about stirring the highball, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? It makes sense that you'd want to either use a reusable straw or a swizzle stick or even a bar spoon to give your highball a little agitation to enhance the mixing and chilling of the ingredients. Some folks have a superstition as to the precise number of times a highball should be stirred, but I mean, if you ask me, just give it three or four rotations around the glass and then go to town. One last thing I'll throw out there on the subject of highballs is that opportunity to add your own signature touch. This is inevitably where I plug our embitterment bitters to add a nice bitters float on top, maybe lavender or orange, but this episode, I'm gonna spare you that lecture and instead recommend a nice herbal garnish like mint or thyme or basil as a great way to add both color and amazing aroma to your highball. So now that you've got all the makings of your next sessionable summer drink, let's turn our attention to a spirit that happens to make a really amazing highball, shochu. In this fascinating conversation with Taka Amano of New American Spirits, some of the topics we cover include 
how Taka used his experience traveling and working within the Japanese biotech space to become an ambassador for shochu here in the U.S. Shochu base grains and production methods, including the use of... Aspergillus. That's right, black mold. The history of shochu distillation in Japan, including how it's becoming one of the most popular spirits on the market today. Shochu cocktails and the best way to enjoy shochu at home and abroad. How to find a quality bottle here in the U.S. and much, much more. Taka is a fascinating guy to speak with, and I couldn't be a bigger fan of his product and the great work they're doing in Maryland. So if you're in the Mid-Atlantic, please try and pick up a bottle of Umai Shochu and sip on that smooth, silky beverage as you enjoy this really enlightening interview with my friend, Taka Amano. Taka, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Eric. Um, so today we are talking about sochu, correct? Uh, shochu. Shochu. Yeah. So we had to we had to nail down that pronunciation. Right. right. <laughs> uh, so I'll let you take us through the pronunciation of it in a sec. But can you just introduce yourself generally and tell folks the story of how you came to be here doing what you're doing today? Sure. So I've been a uh, for pretty much my entire career. I've been a consultant in. Uh, in uh, cultures and connecting the Japanese and American cultures. So I've had a consulting business for 25 years. And part of what I have done the last 10 years, I spent a week and a half to two weeks every month, pretty much every month traveling to Japan. And what I was doing was I was uh, helping American companies, mostly biotech companies, sell their products in the Japanese market. And what you do there is you work with distributors, regional distributors. These are old, you know, uh, generations owned family owned businesses that are very local and cultural and you do a lot of personal interactions with them and so you know i was the president of a, a subsidiary of a biotech company and for seven years we ran that and uh what you do is you go to a lot of meetings you go to a lot of dinners a lot of golfing <laughs> uh so a lot of drinking going on gotcha. and my go-to drink was shochu okay as you probably would, uh, as the listeners may think, you know, so what the hell is shochu, right? And, right. And, and shochu just doesn't have very much awareness in the United States. And yet it is the number one drink in Japan. It's my go-to drink when I'm in Japan. When I'm in the States, I drink bourbon. And in Japan, I drink shochu. And I've always thought, why don't we have shochu in America? Um, and kind of one thing led to another. I've always wanted to have a manufacturing type business of my own. And this seemed like the ideal combination of bridging the cultures, doing a manufacturing business, bringing a new industry to Maryland, all of that. Great. Yeah, I often find that uh, shochu gets mentioned in the same breath as sake. I sure. don't, I, I don't yep. know if that's correct or not. Yep. I don't know. Yeah, I assume they're, they're actually fairly different. But why don't you kind of tell us what shochu is and kind of where it sits on the spectrum of world spirits. I think that's a good sure, place to start. Sure. So in Japan, they call, they have something that they call uh, kokushu. That means national alcohol, right? And the two kokushu are uh, what we call sake. In Japan, they call it nihonshu or seishu and shochu. 
Those are the two kokushu in Japan. And sake is a fermented beverage. It's more like a beer or a wine. Shochu is distilled. And so that's, that's the major difference between the two. Um, the positioning of shochu, even though we don't know a lot about it in the United States, it's actually a, a, you know, a top-selling drink elsewhere, especially in the East. As a matter of fact, the number one selling shochu in Japan at, at different points, in, uh, you know, like uh, I think in 2010, they were the number three brand in the world. You know, we're talking, you know, still... Uh, you know, Smirnoff, Bacardi, Ichiko, wow. <laughs> that kind of thing. Wow. Um, so they sell that much shochu. So it's it's very widely distilled. And, you know, since you've spent so much time going back and forth between yeah. Japan and the United States, why do you think it hasn't caught on in the United States? Yeah, so I have my theories about this. <laughs> so people also, uh, when I talk about shochu, um, I often get the, yeah, I know Soju. <laughs> uh, and soju is a similar thing. It's not the same, but it's a similar product that is Korean in origin. Okay. And soju is the stuff that comes in little green bottles. So the reason I bring soju up is that when you go to a liquor store, like a DLC in Montgomery County, they actually have a Asian section or a, even a soju section. And I was you know, doing some research, looking at the shelves, and you see the soju, the little green bottles of uh, Korean soju lined up there, and you look at the labels, and they're written in Hangul, right, in, in the Korean language. Can't read it. I happen to be in the industry, and so I'm familiar with some of the brands. I pick it up, I turn it over, I look at the English label on the back, and I go, oh, yeah, so this one's Jindo or whatever. And then if you look at even like the sake bottles, uh, and there's there are very few soju bottles, shochu bottles that you'll find around here. But if you look at one, it's got a kanji, which is the Japanese scripted language written on the label. Now, shochu manufacturers are very proud of their labels. You know, the, the kanji labels that they have, the names that they use, there's a lot of history and background and a lot of kind of cultural oomph behind that. Mm -hmm. So they're very proud of it. And they're cool looking, you know, if you're Japanese. And so I can read those, right? Because I'm Japanese and I read Japanese. I'm realizing, yeah, but if I'm American, I couldn't read that any more than I can read the Hangul bottles. So that's number one. I think the marketing is way off base. Okay. Uh, and the other thing I think is that everything, all shochu except for mine, is imported. And so there's issues that come in around that, you know, pricing and distribution and all that kind of thing. Of course, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. So... Obviously, one of your projects is to bring shochu to America yeah. in, in an accessible way. And I think that the best way we can do that right here, right now, is talk about what it tastes like and, and why somebody who's listening to this might want to go out of their way to find some. Right, right. So shochu looks like, you know, uh, moonshine or Everclear when you look at it in the bottle. And, you know, we're a brand new distillery, right? But so... Whenever people taste our shochu, the probably nine times out of 10, probably 99 times out of 10, I get a particular response to it. Um, and so maybe we should try. Yeah, let's, yeah, see, if, what do you let's think? see if I, I have yeah. that response. I'm, I'm curious now. All right. I want to see if I'm the rule or the exception here. Yeah. All right. So we've got the uh, like the Glencairn tulip glass here. Um, great for tasting spirits. I'm just going to get the nose here. And I mean, to me, it, it smells, you know, like a, like you would expect a white whiskey to smell. Mm -hmm. It's um, kind of bready smelling. 
and it's got a little bit of, I'd say like a little bit of fruitiness on the nose. I can't really identify, you know, I, I would go so far as to almost pineapple-y mm -hmm. on the nose. Like I'm a, I don't, pineapple's not a citrus, but I, I get a little bit of that. Uh, I'm going to take the, uh, take the palate. And it's really smooth. There you go. Bingo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 99 times out of 100, I get the really smooth reaction. Yeah, it's, a, it's really interesting on the nose. And uh, I, I would go so far as to say that the, the nose and the palate are uh, two fairly dissimilar experiences. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, it's a, a little bit darker on the palate, a uh -huh. uh, little bit of almost butterscotch on the finish. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, a whole, wholly, a wholly pleasant tasting experience yeah, that yeah. you might not always expect from a raw, clear spirit. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. Right. So, you know, brand new distillery, clear spirit, what you're expecting is a moonshine or a white dog. Um, right. But that's very much not what shochu is. So even though it looks like a vodka or a rum, it's got its own unique uh, and, you know, we make ours with barley, organic barley. Okay. And so it, I think it definitely has that barley, you know, undertone to it. And that's, that will show up in cocktails. The barley-ishness will show up in cocktails. Sure. Yeah, the, the cereal nature of, of the base grain. And I, I, think that's, I think that's a really nice point to make because that's something that a lot of American distillers really go for. They're really proud of their base grain and, and mm -hmm. the characters that they're able to, you know, to pull out of it. It's like the, mm -hmm. you know, the, mm -hmm. the artist pulling the sculpture out of the, uh, the raw piece of marble, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think it's great that you're using organic. That's always, um, you know, it's great to know that there's, there's quality uh, ingredients going into it. Um, but can you maybe talk a little bit about how you take it from from the grain and, and turn it into this end product that we just tasted? Yeah. So one of the interesting things about the shochu process, so shochu can typically be made with uh, a number of grains um, or starches. And the main ones are sweet potato, what they call in Japan imo, barley, which is mugi, and then there's rice, right? Kome. Okay. Um, and then it, it's also made with a variety of uh, buckwheat, you know, soba and other things also. And in the Japanese official, you know, the Japanese version of TTB, there's actually an official list of what you can use to make shochu. So, and it's, it's a big long list. Right. But those three, the sweet potato, the barley and the rice are the, the three big ones. Barley is probably the biggest one. Sweet potato tends to have more body and flavor. And actually, even in Japan, a lot of people uh, find the sweet potato version to be hard to drink. And, and so um, shochu in general, there's a, uh, there's a culture around this where originally it was a very working class, blue collar. You drink shochu because you can't afford sake, you know, nihonshu. Uh, kind of culture uh, background behind it until probably the last 10, 15 years. Okay. So, so uh, speaking to the production, uh, so we make ours with barley, uh, organic barley. And one of the interesting things is, you know, Western uh, alcohols are always, almost always made with malted barley, right? That is where the enzymes come in to sugarize the grain, the starch. 
Well, in the shochu process, we don't use molten barley. Our barley, we use pearled barley. So pearled barley is just the kind of barley that you would cook and eat. You know, it's, it's polished barley is what it is. Just kind of a side note, I'd love to use local Maryland barley. And I've been talking to barley farmers. The thing about it is in Maryland, all of our barley either goes to seed to make barley, other, more barley, or it's molten, which is a, an unhusked right, uh, product, or it goes to chicken feed. Mm. And so there's nobody who's making pearled barley. So as far as I've found so far, nobody has a pearling machine. Got it. And so right now I'm having to bring it in from out of state, but you know we'll we'll, we'll work on this as we go forward. Yeah, we'll put out an all points bulletin to to the farmers who are listening right now, and then uh, see if anybody has a, a pearling machine that they can get out here and have some interest in this. You yeah. know, as as we increase in volume, I think it'll be become a more. Uh, I think it's a fun project actually. For but sure. so we take the uh, pearled barley, uh, steam it. And then the first batch of the pearl barley in a particular batch of shochu is made into koji, which is the secret ingredient, right? So our, our product is made with only four ingredients. It's, it's the organic barley, filtered water, yeast, and koji. Okay. So koji is a biological. It's a Aspergillus lucensis. And what it is, is it's a kind of a mold. Mm. And uh, it's a similar thing that is used in, well, certainly sake, making miso, making, uh, you know, there's a lot of fermented foods in the yeast. Uh, soy sauce, those are all fermented products. Right. They all have their own different kind of aspergillus that they use. So in our case, with shochu aspergillus lucensis is the kind of aspergillus that is used by a you know, genuine shochu manufacturer. Backstory to this, when we first started the process here at American Shochu Company, I went to the USDA, you know, because it's an alcohol product, right? So we got to do everything on the up and up. Right. Went to the USDA and told them that I needed to import some aspergillus lucensis, and they said, you can't do that. <laughs> it's not in our database. Right. And by the way, so there's two kinds of koji. There's white koji and black koji. Shiro koji, okay. kuro koji. Um, and they said, and I understand there's something called black koji. That's aspergillus niger, right? That's black mold, right? Yeah. And, and that's a, it's a hazardous, toxic substance. Right. Not allowed to bring this stuff in. I, and so I had to go through the, no, black koji is actually not aspergillus uh, niger. It's aspergillus lucensis kawachi, you know, yada, yada. Okay. Um, and this is similar product to what you use in miso and uh, aspergillus orize, which is what you use for sake and... And it's, it's a food product. It's a very traditional long-term food product in Japan. And they said, okay, we'll put it in the database and you can bring it in, but there's some restrictions. Of it. And so I, I actually have to hand carry it through the airports. I have to let them know 60 days in advance and hand carry it in. And this is all to say that as far as I know, I'm the first legally uh, <laughs> imported Aspergillus lucensis site in the United States. That's that's really good. <laughs> so, do, all right, I've got this is this is a really interesting place that I'd like to stay for a couple minutes because of a couple of things. One, when we talk to distillers yeah. and we talk about their methods, almost always, except this is the only exception I can really think of. They're talking about yeast right. that they're using to initiate the fermentation process that kind of kicks off um, the alcohol creation, I guess, before mm -hmm. they put it into the still. And so I, I guess number one is I was not aware that mold could do the same thing. Without getting too much into the weeds, can mm -hmm. you explain why mold can do the same thing that yeast can? So actually, it's not. So we actually have a yeast in the process also. But what the mold does is it does what the malted barley does. 
So the malted barley, when it when when they sprout the barley, it uh, puts off some enzymes, and that is what sugarizes, saccharinizes the grains. Okay. Right. So in our case, it's the koji that breaks down or you know changes the barley, creates the enzymes that. Uh, initiates the sugarizing process, and and we add more barley. So so it takes the whole batch of barley that we're using and sugarizes it. And then there's a little secret to this because our fermentation process is almost two weeks. It'll be as long as two weeks, right? Wow. And everybody, anybody who knows the distilling process, you know, I mean, a whiskey is what 48 hours, right? right? Yeah. Um, and so I mean, and, and this actually creates some production problems because it means that you have to store all that fermentation batch for two weeks, and uh, you know each batch has to sit for a week and a half to two weeks. But it's also sitting at room temperature, open lit for two weeks. Wow! So what'll happen? It'll rot, right? It'll it'll get contaminated. It'll rot. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't because of a little secret in the koji process. If you handle the temperature control correctly, the koji. Not only does it create the sugarizing enzymes, it also creates citric acid, and it's a very specific strain and a very specific combination of processes that you uh, that we 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 developed right here at Fitzy at the Frederick uh, Innovative Technology Center. Um, that's why we're in a biotechnology incubator. So we we had to recreate the process. Actually, you know, the process is a traditional process, um, and yet it's a process that typically is handed down from generation to generation in family-owned distilleries. And so even though there's a general sense of how you're making it, you actually don't know what the, what the details are until you act, you do this. And I, I had a lot of help from my Japanese contacts. You know, I'm, I'm uh, very friendly with the Japan Brewing Society. The chairman there is a fan of what we're doing here in America. And so I got some uh, support, but at the end of the day, we had to develop the process ourselves. Right. And, right. and so the citric acid preserves the fermentation while you're fermenting for two weeks. Wow. You know. Yeah, that's 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 completely different than all of the distilling and fermenting processes that, that usually, you know, it, it, when I'm doing a distillery tour, usually I try, I'd like just zone out when they're talking because I've heard the, you know, I've heard the bourbon spiel, I've heard the, uh-huh. the gin spiel so many times that it's like, okay, I get it. Let's get to the tasting part. That's what I'm uh-huh. concerned with. But this is really fascinating. I was not expect. I, I didn't do as much research as perhaps uh-huh. I should have uh-huh. before we sat down and uh, I'm just taken aback by that. Yeah. What about the history of shochu? You mentioned that it was a fairly blue collar yeah. product. And I do think that kind of maps onto some trends that we saw in Western cultures as well, mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like imported uh, things like brandies and nice, you know, French wines were drunk by the, the, the wealthier people while the the moonshines and the bourbons were a little bit more rural and right. kind of uh you know blue collar i think that maps on but i'm interested in kind of figuring out how shochu kind of developed is, is, yeah. is, do you know anything about that yeah so so there's a lot of theories about this but and they say that shochu goes back to the 16th century as a matter of fact one of the earliest in, in the shochu world they everybody tells a story there, they found an archaeological excavation of a you know, old temple, and they found a wood plank that had graffiti on it, where the workmen had written down that the landlord here, the daimyo here, he's so cheap he won't even give us shochu. 
Um, and mm. that is from the 16th century, which is how they say they attribute how far back it goes in Japanese history. And, wow. and they think that it came over from Southeast Asia somewhere, or you know, there's various theories of exactly where it came from. It came from Korea, it came from Southeast Asia, it came through the islands to the south of Japan. Um, and you know, people don't really know what's going on there. But the deal was that in Japan, Japan, especially uh, ancient historic Japan, is a rice-based culture. It's a rice-based economy. They used to grade the power of each of the daimyo, the feudal lords, by how many, they're basically barrels, how many barrels of rice that they were worth. Wow. Right. Sengoku daimyo is a thousand barrel daimyo. So the, and, and it's that, uh, you know, rice and money were directly connected. Okay. So, and you make uh, sake with rice. Sure. And, and it, 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 there's that aspect of it, and there's also a religious aspect of it. It's a very high, you know, top 1% kind of drink. So if you're not, then what do you drink to get drunk? You can take the leftovers from making sake, and you can re-ferment it and distill it to pull out the alcohol. That's what shochu originally was. Okay, okay. The sweet potato version is even further down the So where that's from in Kyushu, the southern island in Japan, um, uh, traditionally a poorer area of uh, historic ancient Japan, and not as much rice, and then also from a temp you know climate perspective, not so much uh, rice. And so they came up with the idea of making it with a different starch with the sweet potato. That's where that came from. That's really interesting. Uh, th one thing that that I would recommend for people who are interested in learning something that you know, historically, they might not be super familiar with is taking a look into Japanese history. Because while we were developing one of our products, um, our Iki Japanese bitters, we did a lot of research into, you know, Japanese culture, some of the Japanese aesthetic traditions. Mm -hmm. And incidentally, you know, I ended up watching a lot of History Channel uh -huh. uh, series on YouTube, I, you know, rewatched The Last Samurai. And regardless of, uh -huh. you know, s certain, you know, historical, you uh, mistranslations or misinterpretations that are in there, you know, it, it did become clear to me that um, there, there's a lot of really um, different trends in Japanese history and culture than there are in Western culture. And you really see, you know, when European countries and the United States tried to start making more contact with Japan, there's actually a lot of resistance there. Mm -hmm. Um, which was kind of interesting. So uh, there's a there's a film that's fairly recent called Silence, mm -hmm. I believe. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, I, I, I watched it, and uh, it's a really it's it's like not a happy movie. It's not right. like a right. you know rom com. It's it's uh, and it's got um, the guy from Taken. Um, oh man. Yes, Liam Neeson. Oh yeah, uh -huh. uh, it's got Liam Neeson, and uh, so it's it, it's it's an interesting movie. I definitely definitely recommend it. But it kind of uh, it's a different different part of history. It's the Jesuit Jesuit thing, right? Yes, yeah, it's the Jesuits. And, and, you know, there's a little bit of that in the original Shogun, if you remember that, right? Uh, right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so traditionally, Japan and and the United States and Western culture did not really have uh, a super friendly rapport. Mm -hmm. But um, so it's I, I like that kind of you're 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 blazing kind of that trail with shochu here. <laughs> um, so I know when I I did a, an episode about vodka that there were some traditions that my friend Allah, who's who's Russian, um, kind of explained to me about the way that 
um, vodka was consumed. And kind of a similar mm-hmm. thing. Vodka was kind of the the, the blue collar, you know, everybody right. drink, and right. and they developed some customs around this. So I was wondering if um, there's any ways that shochu is traditionally consumed, whether that involves toasting or occasions where it is commonly drunk, or maybe even the the glassware or hardware that's used to consume it. So, you know, I, I mentioned that I spent a lot of time in Japan going to dinners. So if you go to a Japanese business dinner, everybody starts with uh, a glass of beer. And in Japan, beer is lager. It's a lager beer. You okay. know, Kirin, Sapporo, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody starts with the beer. And then once you get through the beer phase, people kind of branch out into what they want to drink, which oftentimes uh, might be a sake, might be a shochu. So my go-to drink in that situation was always shochu on the rocks. And that's kind of a old fart uh, Japanese businessman sarariman kind of thing to drink. Although, and, and, and actually, um, it, it's almost, it, it's a little bit of cultural snobbery that goes into <laughs> being a shochu drinker. But uh, so you got shochu, you got sake. So so on the rocks is a very typical way to do it. Now on in you know shochu is typically a twenty five percent, twenty four percent alcohol uh, by volume, and so it's lower alcohol than a scotch or a whiskey, right? right. Scotch and whiskeys, by the way, come at the end of the night. You know when you go leave the restaurant and you go to the bar afterwards, or you go to you know the cabaret kind of thing. That's where you drink your whiskeys. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was a lower ABV. We probably should have mentioned that before. Why is that? It's just tradition from what I can tell. Because you can get a 40% shochu. I mean, I I, I can make a 40% shochu. Uh, they'll come as high as 44%. Japanese law says that it has to be under 45 Okay. Um, but, uh, and we don't have the same laws here, so we could do a higher one if we wanted to. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That. So the, what that immediately made me think of, and, and this is cocktail related, so uh-huh. we'll talk, uh, before we jump into the lightning round, we'll definitely talk about cocktails. Uh-huh. But um, I've recently gotten into the trend of using very high-proof spirits as like a float on a cocktail. So mm. like I'll make a daiquiri and then um, my co-founder Ethan gave me this really nice bottle of uh, overproof rum and I'll float like just a bar spoon of that on top of my daiquiri and it just adds like, it adds a little bit of fire to it. But what do, what do you do with a lower proof um, spirit? I mean, but the, the, the big affordance I can think of is that it's easier to sip without getting super yep. drunk. Yep. So that's, a nice, that's yep. a nice feature. Are there any other features of having something that's a little bit lower proof? So uh, as you say, you know, the thing, nice thing about drinking shochu on the rocks is it pretty much you can drink two of them for every, you know, say, bookers that you're going to drink, of right? Of course. <laughs> Which is actually my go-to uh, bourbon. That's, 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 a, that's a good go-to. <laughs> that's a really good go-to. Um, but uh, so so that's number one. And, and uh, by the way, a lot of people in Japan uh, will also drink shochu with water, you know, water and ice. Shochu with a little bit of warm water is a good way to go too. And and the neat thing, one of the neat things about shochu is that it retains its flavor no matter how you dilute it. It's very interesting. You put more water in it, and it still retains its shochu flavor. Okay. Um, and so the truth is, you could put uh, do shochu in water, and it doesn't take too much away from the experience of drinking the particular kind of shochu that you're drinking. Got and, it. You know, when you're in Japan, there's hundreds of, uh, uh, you know, variety uh, brands out there now. So mm-hmm. never met a show I didn't like actually, but <laughs> nice. Um, 
that actually does kind of make sense because when we make our, our cocktail bitters, obviously we're using a, a neutral grain spirit um, like, like most people do. And it's easy to, I'll put it this way, the more water you add to it in order to proof it down to what you want your end proof to be, the more it takes. So essentially, uh, you know, it's easier to get that, that uh, alcohol down to 90, you know, the first 10% than mm -hmm. it is the following 10%. And then the following 10%, you have to add more and more water because logically there's more water already in there. So I, I never thought of having a lower proof spirit retain its flavor with dilution uh -huh. as being a feature. That, that's a really cool feature yeah. to, to bring out. Let's get into cocktails since we're sure. kind of almost there. I don't think there's too, too many traditional shochu cocktails that you're going to find in, you know, those old classic cocktail books. Right, um, right. You know, the, um, uh, the, the Harry Craddock books or the, uh, you know, the, the Jerry Thomas cocktail books. But um, this is a cocktail and home bartending podcast. And uh -huh. I know that, especially for the large number of our listeners who are here in the DMV and who are going to seek out, um, you know, your, your stuff, how would we think about starting to use this in cocktails? So there's two aspects of this. And the thing about it is bringing shochu to America. The neat thing for me is finding out what people will do with it. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, I'm, I'm, I, I want, you know, selling shochu to a Japanese restaurant is no, no brainer. They should have it. They don't like to have it because it's expensive because they have imported product, but ours is a locally made product. So I think that is a no brainer thing, but that's not a lot of fun, right? That, that's kind of a gimme. Yeah, right. <laughs> Getting it incorporated into the American culture, really creating a new American spirit, right? Making something that we are creating right here in Frederick that we're making in Maryland, you know, ultimately we'll incorporate Maryland barley mm -hmm. and launching that as kind of the new, new craft spirit, the new, um, the brand new spirit in the American uh, market, that's where it, the fun starts. And what people will do with the show, because it's a very versatile uh, base, you know, you can pretty much mix it with anything. Mm -hmm. Traditionally in Japan, they make what's called a chuhai, a shochu highball. Mm -hmm. So in Japan, highballs are always mixed with soda, right? So right. Uh, chuhai, um, a, a very comp, uh, or the, the standard chuhai is lemon lime soda. Show, you know, a shot of shochu with lemon okay. lime soda and ice um, makes a very simple, gentle drink. It is the most popular thing in Japan. The other thing that they like in Japan is oolong highs. So that's oolong tea mm. and shochu. So oolong highballs, um, green tea and shochu. You know, that that's a pretty common thing. They call those ryokucha hai. Okay. Tea, and with uh, the teas, balls. will they typically serve it chilled or, or hot? Uh, uh, pr uh, pretty much chilled. Okay. Right. Shochu with, with warm water is a thing, especially in the winter. Right. It's kind of like a toddy. It's, it's actually my wife's favorite way to drink uh, akakiri, which is uh, a particular kind of imo shochu. So, but other than that, it will mix, you know, a lot of, uh, the, a lot of the ladies that I worked with in Japan, um, their thing was cassis, shochu and cassis. Okay. Right. So, what, what is that? Cassis. Uh, you know. It, yes. It, so here, I uh, I would guess that a similar kind of thing would be like shochu and pomegranate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's like um, I know that there actually is a local uh, cassis or creme de cassis mm -hmm. producer. Our friends out at Mount Defiance in Middleburg, Virginia, actually make a version uh, uh, using. Neat. 
uh, the black currants that are grown in New York, which is one of the few states that has declassified um, the cultivation of that particular plant because yeah. it's been banned due to a certain um, blight propensity uh -huh. uh, that we've kind of eliminated by now. So it's, it's okay to get them back online and growing here in the United States. But yeah, that's almost like a, um, the, the French version would be like a cure or a cure Royale. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like a, the, the shochu cure almost. Yeah. 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 Cool. Now we're in um, uh, the Volt restaurant here in mm -hmm. Frederick, right? Uh, Brian Voltaggio's flagship restaurant. Yep. So Brian was one of the first people to come by the distillery and he was actually my first customer. Oh, that's great. And he, we did the tasting in the distillery and got the same reaction from him. Hey, this is smooth. Yeah. Local product, love to carry you. And so he uh, incorporated it into this, his restaurant for us. And they are at the moment doing about a case a month. And, and we just started in February. So it, it's really cool. And you know, I mean, nothing could be cooler than having a celebrity chef designing your cocktails for you, right? Sure. <laughs> so, so far they've come up with a shochu fizz. Mm. Um, and Damon uh, Shattuck, the uh, head bartender there, tells me it's a 10-minute shake. It's a 10-minute yeah, shake. No, but, but it's a fizz. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're familiar with fizzes, right, they've got the high uh, egg white uh, yeah. head and it's a beautiful looking cocktail. But sure. then, you know, not sure that we want people to be ordering too many of these. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is that you always feel I, the, the uh, Ramos Gin Fizz in New Orleans is kind of like a, you got to get one when you're there. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so, you know, you kind of see the, the, the look of uh, kind of resignation in the bartender's face when you when you order one because that's the next you know five, right five right, ten right, minutes right, of his right, life unfortunately right. but uh cool so i imagine i see we got tonic water on the table so i imagine it's just great in tonic mm -hmm. um so i i've discovered that shochu and tonic is a thing it, it it's uh when for lack of anything better uh it's kind of become my go-to if i want if i don't want it on the rocks if i want it you know dilute it down a little bit you know if i want to drink longer and slower <laughs> yeah uh, it, it's so smooth that if you put it on the rocks you know you'll you'll find yourself just kind of knocking them down sometimes right um uh, well less less uh less dangerous than a gin and tonic since that's it's it's less it's a lower proof um how do you find that it reacts with citrus because one of the things i did notice about it was it's got i don't want to call it a neutral taste i don't want to call it a basic taste in terms mm -hmm. of like acid base mm -hmm. but it's um it's not a particularly bright tasting drink so how does it react when you put something like a lemon or a lime juice in it so it you know it's funny it's got a very so as a Japanese who's used to drinking these, it's a very familiar thing. Uh, it, it has a neutral feel to it is what I always find. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm a bourbon drinker. I'm a shochu on the rocks guy. So it's not something that I actually personally go to by choice. But I think that people who do like that kind of drink, it, it makes for a very gentle, um, you know, smooth, mild kind of drink. And I think a lot of times that's what people like about it. Sure, sure. Yeah, really interesting. Well... What we'll kind of put out into the ether of of the uh, of the podcasting space is that we need more shochu cocktails, right? And we want people to get their hands on this product. And we'll we'll at the end of the show we'll uh, let you tell folks all about how to get in contact with you and how to you know experience your product, whether that's in their home or at, at one of the local restaurants here uh, in Frederick or in the Mid Atlantic. But yeah, we. This is a part of the creative process. Whenever you make a product, we just launched four new 
bitters flavors that aren't really out there. So the, we are actively soliciting people to go out, experiment with this stuff and tell us what they like. Cause I know what I like, but you know, like I drink bitters all the time. My palate's very different from, mm -hmm. you know, what's out there. And, and so, um, you know, that's, that's my call to action for this episode. Please, please seek out shochu, whether it's, you know, something that's imported or if you're lucky enough to be able to get your hands on this particular product, uh, please, please tell us what you like in your shochu cocktails because we want more of them. Fascinated to know what people like if they're shochu. Yeah. Is there anything else about shochu that you want to just talk about before we jump into the lightning round? You know, so I think that what I would emphasize with, again, with bringing shochu to America is, you know, there's a way that we drink shochu in Japan and it's very popular. You know, we sell more shochu in Japan than sake the last 10 years. That's mostly because young people have taken to the fact that you, that there's chuhai as a thing. Um, the truth is, uh, izakaya bars, uh, restaurants, they love their shochu uh, sales because it's, you know, it's, it's a profitable product for them. But what people do with, you know, the, what they like to mix into shochu, and I, I, I can imagine anything. I, I, I kind of picture, you know, almost like a bubble tea. Kind of mm. thing, right, you know, sure. uh, your strawberry and kiwis, your mango and pineapples, you know, chocolate with shochu, if that's your thing. I'd love to find out what, you know, people are interested in. It does seem like it embraces other flavors really well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. So let's jump into the lightning round questions here uh, with our first one, which is uh, what is your favorite cocktail? And if you don't have a favorite of all time, what's something that you've been recently more obsessed with? Yeah, you know, that's really easy. So my, my favorite cocktail is the Manhattan. And I've been into Manhattans for quite a while, you know, and then I find myself ordering Manhattans in New York City. And my wife's like, you know, isn't that a cliche? <laughs> <laughs> but but this is before. I mean, I think there's a Manhattan resurgence going on right now. Sure. Yeah. Way, way before that. And so, right. yeah. Interesting. A uh, couple sub questions then. Bourbon or rye? Bourbon. And do you have a sweet vermouth preference? You know, I, I, I like my, um, uh, you know, my, I'm getting a mind blank. Carpano. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like my Carpano Antigua. Um, but so when you do uh, Booker's and Carpana, you're talking about a really, really heavy drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that is kind of my go-to. But on a off day, I'm more of a maybe a Baker's and uh, Dubonnet or... Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, Dubonnet Rouge. Very nice. And Orange Twist or Brandied Cherry? You know, there's a kind of uh, maraschino cherry that they actually sell at Giant, and it's an organic. Ooh. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I have friends who say, oh, my God, I can't believe that you used, you know, the little red ball of uh, death. But that, uh, that, that actually tends to be what I put in my, uh, yeah. Yeah, you use the red ball of death. Right, right. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that color, the color is uh, striking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you were a cocktail tool or ingredient, what would you be and why? Yeah, that's funny. So, you know, uh, like a lot of Japanese, uh, uh, just to go off the side just a little bit, you know, sure. my, my wife is half Irish and uh, I have funny stories about that that we might do some other time. But, um, you know, we talk about how wide, uh, I found, I'll just say this part, I found that I have run into more Japanese men married to Irish women than you would believe. Huh. And it's like, why is that? You know, it's yeah. weird. Well, so what I always say is, well, you know, they're Ireland and Japan, they're both island countries. We both have 
uh, alcoholic dads. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was a kid, um, I, from a very young age, I uh, grew up knowing my dad. He, his drink was whiskey and water, right? Scotch and water. Yeah. And he would, you know, put ice in the glass. And so if one of these three-year-olds who knew what the sound of ice and glass looking sounded like, you know, really, really pathetic, right? But what you do with that is you mix it with what in Japan we call a madora. And, and so madora, right, which I knew as a stir stick. Okay. Right? Now, I realized recently that the word comes from muddler. Okay. Right? Like a muddling stick, yeah. right? Right? Um, and so it kind of got, you know, side bastardized in Japan just to mean something that you stir the drink with. Okay. Right? So I, I don't know if that's what I am. And, yeah, I mean, you could riff on the whole mixing cultures and yeah. right kind of thing but but what comes to mind is the the muddle <laughs> i like that well and it's interesting too because especially of, of the prevalence of the the japanese whiskey and the shochu highball i, uh -huh. I feel you know it's it's stirred you know the stirring those drinks is a very you know special it's yeah. part of the process yeah. because it's such a simple drink yeah. uh, a lot of the style and sort of the ceremony of the drink is is in the stirring of it. It is. It is. So yeah. I, I I like that. Um, that that's a really cr really cool creative answer. If you could have a cocktail with anybody, past or present, mm -hmm. uh, who would that be? Where would you go? What would you drink? Just kind of uh, paint a picture for us. Yeah, yeah. So so this this goes off into a different area of my life. You know, my wife is running for board of ed in Montgomery County here. Okay. And you know we're 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 the truth is we're diehard progressives and have been for a long time. So I, I have to say that if I had the choice of someone to have a drink with, I it would probably have to be Bernie Sanders. Okay. And, you know, actually, Paul Wilson would be great, but he's not around. So sure. Uh, uh, that's what I would say. And, you know, what drink? Well, that's an interesting question, mm -hmm. right? It's an interesting question. I would imagine if I'm drinking with Bernie, it would have to be, you know, nice craft beer somewhere sure you know maybe somewhere like denizens right <laughs> yeah yeah why not all right craft beer with bernie sanders and uh i mean what would you what, what would you talk about with him oh my gosh just you the know, state of the state of things how what, all the things that you know miss opportunities that have gone by what we can do next you yeah. know how how we can change things uh for the better in the world yeah yeah seems like a real down-to-earth guy yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely Cool. You know, how, how we can connect with the people that he's able to connect with. Yeah. Yeah. Not an answer we've received. We've had, we've had a couple, <laughs> a couple duplicates, but no Bernie Sanders. So that's, that's, that's a new one to the podcast. Um, so we're going to get into a little bit of advice now in, in the lightning round. And I always like to ask, um, about books because mm -hmm. people love books. Um, are there, are there any books either about cocktails or about shochu or, you know, about anything that we've spoken about today um, that have been particularly influential to you? Yeah, so there, there's a few shochu books out there. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I got to say they're all in Japanese. But I have found that the story and history of how, so there's a company in Japan called Kirishima, Kirishima Distillery. And they, uh, their, their main product is Kurokiri Black Kirishima. Uh, it's a emo shochu. It's a sweet potato shochu. And they have done a fantastic job of growing a business from the ground up in a really flat economy. Mm. And, you know, being an old, you know, working with distributors and working uh, just kind of 
boots to the ground sales guy at heart. Their story was just fascinating how they did that. Okay, cool. I, mean, I might hit you up via email, see if we can get links to those. Even, yeah, you know, yeah. even if they're not, you know, uh, super available to uh, to an English speaking public, we'll still slap them on the show notes page uh-huh. and, uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> put them up there. If you could give any piece of advice to somebody, whether that this could be one of one of many things, if they're just starting out their journey as a home bartender, or perhaps just starting out their journey into shochu, mm-hmm. um, what advice would you would you have for somebody? So if uh, you're getting into shochu, I, there's I think very few places where you can get a variety around here. But I think I think if you go up into New York, there are some izakaya that have a nice variety. And so, and then certainly, if you're doing shochu, you probably start off with a with a mugi with a barley product. They're generally a little bit easier to access, and the Japanese actually will tell you that. You know, if you're starting yep. with shochu, you want to start with barley. And then, if that tickles your fancy, the sweet potato versions, the uh, emo versions, are they, now you get into a wide range of um, different varieties. Uh, you know, the different flavors that you can get mm-hmm. into. But even in the barley space, you can get in to the really gentle smooth products you know that like like our first product like our umai product and you know our, our second round actually my second round of product I'm, I'm still debating which way to go with this but we we might either will come out with a more strong bold barley version or i might play around with a little bit of rye in the mash yeah traditional maryland uh, exactly yeah traditional maryland <laughs> i love it well that's that's really great are there any quality indicators to look for if you are shopping around for shochu and I, I will you know preface that by saying it's probably going to be difficult if you don't read Japanese <laughs> um, but is there anything to look for at all oh gosh the, the the bigger difference is actually the kind of shochu right is yep. it a sweet potato is a so is it a imo is it mugi barley or is it kome rice Okay. And the different, you know, the big difference will be with a rice product. They tend to be very sweet. And then actually, people who know sake, sake ak- ak probably comes in two different versions. It's either a very vermouthy product or mm-hmm. it's a very sweet. Mm-hmm. You know, a high quality sake is sweet. Even the dry ones are very sweet. Yep. A rice shochu will have a lot of that same character. It, it's sweeter, so it's a little bit more cloying, maybe. Sure. So that that that's probably what you look for, depending on what you're you know, what your palate is. Sure. And if you've ever gone to like maybe a Thai restaurant, you've had uh, Mekong whiskey. Uh-huh. It's, it's got a bit of a sweetness to it there right, that's right. kind of comparable to that and puts it on that spectrum. Interesting. So we'll dive into the internet, find those different base names and stick them on the show notes page so that if you do happen to be cruising, um, you know, a, a place that has a selection of shochu, then you can hopefully just pull up the show notes page and and identify at least the base of it or, you know, mm-hmm. grab somebody from the store who, who knows what they're talking mm-hmm. about. And, uh, you know, that should have you off to the races. But um, I think we should give folks uh, your digital contact info where they can reach out to you, uh, where they can follow you on social media. And then also, you know, the the name of your product and and maybe some places where they can find that. Right. So our website is newamericanspirits.com. That's spirits with an S at the end. Let's see. So we're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, but uh, those are some variation of American shochu. Okay. American (laughs) shochu. Yep. Great. And let's see. Uh, this product is Umai, right. U-M-A-I, with an exclamation point at the end. Right. 
does that have a, a, a meaning or is that just a, so, a style, a trade name? Umai is uh, kind of a masculine word in Japan for taste good, mm. yummy. Yeah, great. So you know the the the, the joke here is. You go into a Japanese bar where somebody says, give me a good tasting shochu. Umai shochu kure. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, and you have the, you have the story right on the side right there. Cool. Um, so we'll, we'll snap a picture of that, um, post it on the show notes page as well. Uh, where can folks go to taste it? And is it, is it available for purchase for individuals or yeah. is it only in restaurants? Yeah. So um, we, we, we have just started selling the product on the market in uh, February. And uh, it is currently at Volt Restaurant that we mentioned. Mm -hmm. It's also at Brewer's Alley. Uh, so those are both, you know, iconic restaurants in Frederick, yep. great places. And then we're in a few liquor stores, uh, Riverside in Frederick, Orion in Urbana. Mm -hmm. So that's the closest to Montgomery County. Sure. And we're currently in discussions with uh, several bars and restaurants in both Bethesda, uh, Silver String and uh, uh, DC. Great. Yeah. Well, we are rooting for you hard. We are going to keep our eyes peeled as as you continue to roll out your product, amp up your production, and you know we look forward to seeing that uh, hit more and more markets as you continue to grow. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 right in the process of expanding our production and actually looking for a little bit of a a little bit of investment to fund that and you know sure we're off to the races great well taka thanks so much for being on the podcast thanks eric hey everybody thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode there's two big things you can do for us here at modern bar cart one would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails and if they don't download podcasts they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, Shochu Insights and Black Mold Clarification by Taka Amano, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2018.